Thank you very much. It's overwhelming. Could you please put up that screen that we had for the platform helpers? I just want to explain something there that uh, Pastor Todd wanted me to pose after my last sermon as I was carrying the pulpit off. So if you're wondering where these pictures come from, I said, sure, I'll pose for you. Lose 10 pounds, looks like we lost 310. Hey, remember to pray for uh, Bobby and Gloria today. They're on the Phelps. They're on their way now, heading back to uh, Alabama. And we wish them Godspeed, and we've been praying for them and their journey and their resettling back in their home state. And um, after looking at those pictures, uh, Hugh O'Shields, we're proud of you. We saw you in that firefighting uh, act yesterday or the day before, whenever it was just recently down southwest. And uh, we're proud of you, and we thank God for you. On a rather vain and personal note, you know, call it what it is, call it grace, um, and a lot of it, uh, today marks the beginning of my 43rd year of preaching the gospel of Christ. And uh, as some people would say, it's been a ride. Um, I can't say it's been a ride, but um, it's been. And uh, so we'll see if we can't squeak out another one here. Um, I'm in a series uh, right now, and uh, the title of the series simply is The Truth Is, and we're exploring different parts of what we believe and what the truth of Scripture is. Uh, Some would call this a study of Christian apologetics, as I say each time, not apologizing that we're Christians, but a Christian apologetics is the setting of the foundational anchors Uh, a systematic defense of the basic tenets of the Christian faith. It's actually the what and the why of what we believe. And uh, so today we're moving into another area that every, I think at least, every single person in this room should or is probably going to be able to identify with. Doubt. Popcorn quiz here. When I say that word, doubt, what thoughts immediately come to your mind? Got to start over. Doubt. (laughs) Either plug it in or something, but the the corn's not popping. What comes to your mind immediately when you hear that word? Keep popping. Keep popping. Keep popping. You going? For some, the reality of doubt hurts. There are some in this room right now who say, if you're going to talk about doubt today, this is going to be painful. No, it's a legitimate struggle. But the struggle sometimes leaves you sort of on an island. For some people, doubt is the absence of faith. You've thought, well, wait now. There's no place for doubt in the life of a Christian. There are others who embrace doubt because they see doubt as a product of their enlightened minds. And I want to speak to the different sides of this issue today because I'll say something you've probably never heard from a pulpit before. Doubting God can be healthy. It can be necessary. But it also can be very unhealthy and detrimental. So you say, where is the line? The the line is hard to draw. It's hard to identify. And my goal is not to paint a complete picture of doubt, because we can't paint a complete picture of anything. But I want to address those who are struggling today with doubt. You can call it whatever you want, but it boils down to that one word, doubt. I want to talk to those of you that have embraced doubt. And I want to talk to those of you who have just kind of written it off. Like, well, it doesn't really mean much, and it doesn't really involve me. Because I think God has something to say to all those groups and to all of us as we've gathered here today. We didn't come here by accident. We're not here just because there's nothing else to do. We're here by divine appointment. And God has a message for each one of us. 
So a message today entitled, Is Doubting Permitted? Or if you wanted to have a subtitle or a sequel, you could call it, If I Have Doubts, Am I Still a Believer? Am I Really a Christian? In his book, Disappointment with God, Philip Yancey wrote, uh, telling of a letter that he received from a woman who was struggling with life and she was struggling with her faith in God. Isn't it interesting how those two things go together? We go through a tough time in our lives and for some reason, at the same time, we're struggling with God. He says, a young mother wrote that her joy had turned into bitterness and grief when she delivered a daughter with spina bifida, a birth defect that leaves the spinal cord exposed. In page after page of tiny, spidery script, she recounted how medical bills had soaked up the family savings and how her marriage had cracked apart, and her husband came to resent all the time that she was devoting to their sick child. And as her life crumbled around her, She was beginning to doubt what she had once believed about a loving God. She wanted to know, did I have any advice? Let me just say that that young lady was not and is not alone in her doubts. One writer of the biblical book of Psalms often struggled with doubt, comes out in his writings, And that came from God's apparent... There were times when God was silent. There were times when it seemed like God was inactive. There were times it seemed like God wasn't responding uh, to what was going on in the the human experience. And this uh, writer begins to wonder if God really cared. Or had God gone somewhere? What, What about him? And in Psalm 44, we're going to put up on the screen for you, verses 23 and 24, here's what that psalmist said. Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. And then verse 24 says, why do you hide your faith and forget our misery and oppression? There's somebody who's going through a real struggle And he's also questioning, where is God? There are many times when we're tempted to doubt God. There's no more common experience than when life all all of a sudden starts showing cracks and it starts coming down around us and things are getting worse and, 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 and nothing's getting better and everything we do to fix it doesn't work. And we ask, what is it that we've done wrong? And then we ask the proverbial question that's been asked 100 million times by everybody on this planet. And that question is, just two words, Why? And that question is, why? And that question is, why me? And I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up if you ever asked that question, because I already know the answer to it. That would be wasting our time. We question whether we're really a Christian or not. We, We question whether this will do us in as far as our relationship with God. So we start blaming ourselves. And we get in the blame game. And the next thing you know, when you start blaming yourself, you're really blaming God. And the next thing you will outwardly blame God. And we begin to wonder, does, oh, God really care? They say God is love. Does he really love everybody? Where is he? If he's there, where is he? And the fears begin to approach us that this whole God thing is some kind of a hoax. The pain takes over our lives. We don't seem to have the emotional energy anymore for this thing called faith. And the pain of life sometimes hardens us. As Rich Mullins sings in one of his songs, You who live in heaven hear the prayers of those of us who live on earth who are afraid of being left by those we love and who get hardened by the hurt. I know many people who seem to suffer. I've seen them over the years, and they seem to suffer more of the pain of this life, then they, then, then, then they really should. I mean, they, they just get hurt, and then they get hurt, and then they get hurt. And it seems like they have to bear more than their fair share. And when that happens, questions start to rise, and even ri- arise in my mind. No wonder the Bible says over in Jude, the second to last book of the Bible, verse 22 
It says, be merciful to those who doubt. I, I don't know that we are, and I'm going to speak to that in a little bit. So first off, let me say, doubting is a common experience among Christians. I just want to set the record straight, and I want to let some of you just ease down a little bit. It's a common experience. When do we doubt? Well, we doubt when we're awake, and we doubt when we're asleep. We doubt when we're idle, and we doubt when we're busy. We doubt when we're down in the dumps, and we doubt when we're on top of things. Uh, We doubt at nighttime. We doubt in the daytime. We doubt when we're sad. We doubt when we're happy. We doubt at work. We doubt at play. We doubt when we're in church. We doubt when we're not in church. We doubt it when we were young. We doubt when we're old. We doubt when we're alone. And we doubt when we're with somebody. We doubt when we've been at a certain place in life before. And we also doubt when we're about to go through something we've never gone through before. You see, we seriously doubt, don't we, when life doesn't turn out just the way we scripted it to turn out. Hello? You know the drill. We ask for strength. We got weakness. We ask for health. We got illness. We ask for joy. We got sorrow. We ask and anticipated love. We got hate. We ask for understanding. We got chaos. We ask for wealth. I mean, to be comfortable. We got poverty. We ask for acceptance. We've got shunned. We ask for light. We got darkness. We ask for purpose. We got futility. We ask for fulfillment. We got emptiness. That's when we doubt. <coughs> Let's be honest. You said I could, I could, I could fit all those categories. If you've never doubted anything, it could mean that you've never thought seriously about anything. See, the only way to never doubt is to never use your mind to question and try to figure anything out. So not only can you be a Christian and still have some doubts, but I'm going to go this far to say, you can hardly be a Christian without doubting at times. Oh my word, did he really say that? After all, if doubting was not possible, faith wouldn't be possible either. Some of you are just starting to take a step over to that next level. Keep going. The only way there can be no doubt is there for, is there, for there to be no alternatives and no choices. See, when you came to faith in Christ and you committed yourself to God, lock, stock, and barrel, body, mind, soul, and spirit, you had a choice. You had a choice. Doubting doesn't mean that your faith stops. It means you're trying to understand your faith at a deeper level. Rather than being afraid of doubts, we should allow them to take us to deeper experiences of our faith and our understanding. So, the first thing, there are three things that I want us to try to understand about doubting. First thing is, doubt can lead to faith. I'll say this over and over and over, and you'll probably get it after a bit, and, and, and that's fine if it takes a little bit. It took some time for me to settle in on this one. But doubt is not the absence of faith. Matter of fact, God gave man free will. Correct? Yes? No. Yeah, okay. All started in the Garden of Eden. You know what else started in the Garden of Eden, right? Oh, before sin. Say it. Doubt. Doubt. When the serpent appeared, he didn't say, go sin, do it. 
He asked a three-word question, or at least in our language it would be. And the question was, hath God said? In other words, did God really say that? Hmm. I'm sure that's what he said. See, that doubt was planted. And from that came, say it, sin. And we're still there. So that isn't new. That isn't something we just dreamed up. Honest doubt means that we're thinking and we're seeking to understand. And the simple answer to do, do not, uh, answers that we get don't satisfy us any longer. And we want to understand at a new level. You see, honest doubt is different than dishonest doubt, which I'm going to refer to in a moment. Honest doubt seeks to know and understand. Dishonest doubt seeks to find reasons to stay at its present level of unbelief. That's why Jude 22 says, be patient with those who haven't quite stepped into faith yet. Show mercy to the doubter. We've really failed in that one. Honest doubt wants to know more about God and experience Him in a new way, maybe even a different way than you and I do. Dishonest doubt seeks to question God at the most basic level in order to avoid even coming closer to Him because I don't want to catch what you've got. Honest doubt is seeking to come to a place of trust and resting in God, and dishonest doubt seeks to find excuses for not trusting God and excluding Him from one's life. If your faith did not exist, why would doubt exist? I'm challenging you this morning to expand your thinking and to take your faith experience to the next level. I believe God honors our struggles to understand. I'm not sure God is very excited about someone. And some of us grew up almost in these kind of situations because I call it passive believing because someone told me I ought to believe this and I ought to believe that and that's what they believe, so I ought to believe it. And so we just keep passing it along one to another. I'm not saying there aren't genuine uh, salvations in that kind of system. I'm just saying... That's passive believing, <coughs> and I think God honors, uh, uh, honors the fact that some people struggle. They don't just take it for granted. It's better to fight with God, and I'll, I use that word fight, I mean to wrestle, I'll explain that, than not to engage God at all. You come to me and say, I'm really struggling. I'm fighting with God. I'm arguing with God. I'm disagreeing with God. God and I are not even on the same plane. I'm not going to cast you aside and say, well, you're you're hopeless. I'm going to say you're struggling for faith and you're struggling to overcome your doubts and, and you're going to make it. See, passiveness is not a spiritual attribute. How long we've been taught that, I don't want to mention. In fact, all through the Bible, it just seems to me that there are examples and and and. There are people who struggle. I made a list, a couple of lists, and I'm going to share them with you. And I thought, I'm, I could have just said, everybody in the Bible. <laughs> because there are so many human struggles that are chronicled in the Bible. I want to tell you that in my time of, of living for Christ, I, I, I've got to tell you, I've reached times where I hit a crisis of faith more than one time. More than one situation. I can tell you this looking back, and I'm not saying I'm done with those either. Still struggling with some stuff. But I will tell you this, that in those struggles or as a result of those struggles, I realize all over again, each time, that I did not have God and don't have God all figured out and neither do you. I get so nervous around people that either say it or try to, you know, emanate this, this feeling like, well, I, I got it all together. I, I, I've got God down, Pat. I've got... Look, if you had it all together, you'd forget where you put it. I actually, in those situations, start to fear a little bit. And are you afraid of God? It's a healthy, holy fear, but not just afraid of God, but but what he's trying to do and what is he trying to teach me? 
How thick is this skull anyway? How many times is he going to have to hit it to get something through? And I'm afraid to even ask him that because he is so unpredictable. He overwhelms me and he overpowers me. And let me tell you this, and you need to take this home and munch on it. He's still God and I cannot make him do what I want or will him to do. I can't even decide ahead of time how he's going to respond to things. And I don't know when he's going to come to me and break out of that box in which I've put him. He is too big for any box. And none of us has God all figured out. Nobody here has a corner on the truth. We can get into heaven without having all the right beliefs, but we can't get into heaven without a heart for God. Oh. That tipped a few halos right there. Make no mistake. This is serious stuff. The basic tenets of our faith are unchangeable and essential. But believing all the right things in your head will not get you into heaven. I don't care how many colleges you went to. I went to six and it didn't help me. Look, I'm the most ignorant guy in the room. The only difference between me and you is I know I am. You can have it all in your head. You can have more degrees than Dr. Fahrenheit. I don't care. Knowing all the basic beliefs and being able to recite them by heart and know them in your head, that doesn't get you into heaven. There is a place, I'm saying this morning, for questions. But people who are after the heart of God. What did God say about his choice servant? He's a man after my own what? Heart, not head. Heart. Ask those questions those people do because they want to know, not because they want an excuse for not believing. And they're real seekers. We use the word seekers, but we overuse it and misuse it. These are people that are struggling with God, but they're on their way. Now, here's an example. Let's look at Jacob. His name meant schemer or supplanter or cheater. He was a wheeler-dealer. He schemed his way all through life, and he even tried to do some scheming with God. God, I got, I've got a deal for you. You, you can't refuse. Mm. So God met him, and when he came to the end of his rope, Jacob knew that his scheming days were over, and they beg- they, he and God began to wrestle. That's what the Bible says. They, he wrestled with God. And Jacob came away from that experience wounded, a wounded but a changed man. And as a result, God gave him a new name. See, he had been Jacob, but he would forever after this be known as, 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 really? As Jacob was Jacob, but every... Forever after this, forever, he will be known as Israel, of course. Hold on to that. Hold on to that. Israel means wrestler with God, struggler with God. Philip Yancey writes again, he says, Is it any accident that God identifies his chosen people as the children of... The children of... Jacob was his name. It was changed to. Is it any wonder that God refers to his people as the children of Israel? I'm glad you came today. Amen. I told you it's serious stuff. See, that's the problem. We don't expect to get serious stuff sometimes. We get it and we're like, this is too much. This is overload. I don't know if I'm with you. You will be. Stick with it. So that we're the wrestler's children. The offspring of one who grappled so fiercely through the night. Read it. Now, all throughout the Bible, there's a trail of men and women who struggled with doubt. Job. Job. Ever heard of him? Okay, four people. No, that's good. That's good. That's more than I got last question. Job immediately comes. We're coming up. We're coming up. Job immediately comes to my mind. Talk about a bad deal. Talk about a hand that you can't play. Talk about a mess. Well, who is this guy? What kind of a thug is this Job, anyway? Well, let me tell you how God describes him. Blameless, 
Anyone here can uh, put that tag on? Upright, righteous that means. One who feared God and always turned away from sin. Evil, Job 1.1. So, that's Job. He struggled with God. I, th- I, I say for no apparent reason. I, I don't understand. I'm not God. What did he lose? Not everything. He lost his wife. He lost his children. He lost his land. He lost his livestock. He was the richest man probably in the world. He, he lost his health. He lost his wealth. He lost his his respect, he was highly respected. He lost his influence in his community and world. He didn't lose his life. And he didn't really, in a way, lose his children. Everything else was restored double. But he didn't have to restore all the children. He started another family because those children had already gone to heaven. So he hadn't lost them. Now, if you lost your spouse, your children, your land, your possessions, your livestock, your health, your wealth, your influence, everything but your life, wouldn't you have maybe a question or two? I mean, all of his comforters came said, man, you're nuts. You're going to hang with this God? He's done all this? And if I were Job... I'll tell you what I'd be doing. I'd be looking for a hidden camera because this must be fake. It can't be for real. But it was real. Now, the Bible reveals something that you need to pick up on. Doubt happens. It happens to people who we view as warriors and heroes of the faith. Let me name four or five. Moses, Abraham, Sarah, Peter, Thomas. Heard all of them, haven't you? So as you wade through the difficulties of doubt, where you are right now, you may be up to your ears in alligators right now. I don't know. Understand many men and women before you have wrestled with the problems that you currently face, and many of them may be much worse. Buried in the Gospel of Mark is a little story about a man whose son is possessed by a demon. What is interesting about this story is the way Jesus frames the conversation with the boy's father. In Mark 9, if you want to, if you want to reference it or notate it on your, on your pad, <coughs> excuse me very much. Uh, I think we have that one, don't we? Mark 9 and 23. So Jesus is framing the conversation. He's heard the background. He knows the story because he knew it anyway. And he said, if you can... Everything is possible for one who believes. Let's just leave that there. Everybody see it okay? Yes? I'm going to ask you something. I want to ask Jesus, but I'm afraid of him, so I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask him through you. If you can? What kind of a statement is that? If you can, all things are possible for him who believes. Watch how the Father responds. Verse 24, please. Immediately. When? When? Yeah, faster than you answered. Immediately. The boy's father exclaimed. What did he say? I do believe. He exclaimed it, folks. I do believe. Help me overcome my what? Wow. Wow. Everyone cover your eyes because this man is about to be put in his place for doubting the power of Jesus. And, And it could get ugly. Nope. Nope. Jesus doesn't rebuke the man's unbelief. He doesn't put a verbal beat down on the man for doubting. So what does he do? What does he do? You know the rest of the story? He heals the boy. Now, 
Now, here's what happens in this story. We've heard it. Some of you have heard it from Sunday school out. Jesus affirms that doubt does not reveal an absence of faith. Maybe this man's faith was actually shown through his acknowledgement of unbelief. He said, Lord, really, I want to believe, but help my unbelief. Help that part where I'm still doubting and I maybe don't get it or I don't want to get it, but just help me get over that hurdle. Maybe faith in God is, listen, may, this is good for your notes. I don't think I have it on the screen. Maybe faith in God is as much about a humble heart as it is about refusing to doubt God. I know people who would face-to-face tell me that they would just refuse to doubt God. And my answer to that would be, well, that's great, but there's something God desires more, and that's a humble heart. God wants to know he's got your heart. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew eleven twelve: 12. The kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men have laid hold of it. See, the kingdom of God is for those who will struggle with God. It's for those who will ask, seek, and what? Ask, seek, and what? Ask, seek, and it's A-S-K. I always remember this. A-S-K. Ask, seek, and knock. If you ask, then you seek, then you knock. Am I asking tough questions or what's going on this morning? You liked me for 42 years, but no longer. Is that it? What? It's for those who what? What's the word again? So you tell me what what those three letters represent. Ask. I thought knock started with N. Okay. I can't go there. It is for those who are willing to grapple with God. It's for those who will struggle in order to understand. They question why so they can know. People get so upset when people ask the questions and they just don't know. They don't let the doubt rest. They think, they read, they study, they talk to other people, they pray, they consult. Their relationship with God is too important not to struggle because they know that doubt can very well lead to faith. Were you always a believer, believer? Come on. I have people say to me, especially when I'm preparing them like for baptism. Well, I've always, uh, I've always believed God, believed in God. No, you haven't. You haven't always been part of the family. You had to do something to come into that. And there could have been times where there was a lot of doubt involved before the faith ever got acted on or ever got enacted. So there, that's the first thing. Doubt can lead to faith. Second thing is, We need to understand this. We will never have all the answers. Some of you have proven that to me this morning. No. It is important to struggle with God and see, I have fun, and seek the answers to your questions at your expense. But let me sound a note of warning. If you are waiting until you have everything figured out before you come to God, you'll be waiting forever. And I'll tell you why. Because God's bigger than you. So the sooner you get over it, the sooner you start making headway. The sooner your journey starts to make sense. If God came down, sat across a table from you, and explained everything to you, you still couldn't comprehend it. We couldn't start to comprehend it. It'd be like sitting in an advanced calculus class when you flunked high school algebra. So you have a few that were there. You can't wait until you agree with everything God does before you surrender your life to him. You can't expect him to prove his existence to you. If he had to do that, he wouldn't be God. This is what faith is all about. Do we have fans on? Should we? Should we have a little air circulating? You know, when, when when the air gets kind of like dead... People in that air kind of get get sleepy. I see people sleeping, and I'm wondering if that's just because the air's not moved. Do we have a little bit or a couple fans, something? I'm roasting. Thank you. Put your other coat on, people. I, I feel like starting over, but... You can download it. Our belief in God may be based on intelligent reasoning at times, but in the end, we don't have proofs for anything. 
Because it's all by faith. It's not works. It's faith. It's not vocabulary. It's faith. It's not knowledge. It's faith. Now, God is pleased with those who exercise faith. Faith is like a muscle. The more you use it, the more powerful it becomes. Who would like to come up and let me... I would like to demonstrate how that works. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll take you. I'll take you. I want to be a person who believes God for great things. I want to trust Him in the important thing. And I say I want to because I don't always. I want to trust Him when things are dangerous in my life. I want my life to reflect the fact that I believe in a big God. Here's what the Bible says in Hebrews 11.6. And I said our scripture for today is Hebrews 11 because your homework is to read that whole chapter. Obviously, I'm not preaching on the whole chapter because there are about a hundred sermons in there. But in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, we read some very, very important things. And without faith, it is what? Without faith, it is what? Yeah, not, not unlikely or not improbable. Okay? No, no. Without faith, what? It's impossible. So you can do all the things you want to do, think you should do. We're taught this is what you could and can't and whatever. But without what? Faith, it is what? Impossible. Not highly unlikely. It is impossible. Impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him or go after him. That's our text for the morning. Now, faith must believe that he exists. Faith must believe that he's going to reward those who earnestly seek him. And in this case, if you're talking about coming to him by faith, then you were talking about being rewarded with eternal salvation. That's a pretty good prize. Amen? Where's my amen corner? What are you doing way back there? You're supposed to be down here priming the pump. I did this last time without you even in the building, and I nearly collapsed. I need you, man. Your heart will be empty, and so will your head, if you never know that experience of faith. Your heart might be good in your sight. Other people might say you're kind-hearted, good-hearted, well-meaning. But you have to have a heart for God before you can be considered one of his own. Doubting God, that's not a result of fickle faith. Here's what it is. It's a realization that there exists a dichotomy between our finite nature and the infinite, ever-infinite nature of God. Apologetics are good. Physical evidence as it is is good. And that's helpful but finding a solution to the deep questions. Questions that come up in your heart. That doesn't come from an increase in knowledge. Having had seminary training, I realize the difficulty an increase in knowledge creates. I've seen too much learning drive some people right half insane. And many look to knowledge for the solution to the deep questions about God and life. And I've said it, and I said this years ago, <laughs> that the farther I got away from seminary, the more I ministered with my heart and not my head. The writer of the Hebrews tells us something. We need to remember that without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God. See, an element of faith must exist for knowledge, the knowledge you have, to be of any value. Otherwise, knowledge will only serve to increase the doubt that you have. And that, too, is very, very important. Henry Nguyen wrote this. He said, so I am praying while not knowing how to pray. Man, I've been there. I've been there so many times. I'm resting while feeling restless. I'm at peace while tempted. I'm safe while still anxious. I'm surrounded by a cloud of light while still in darkness. I'm in I am in love while still doubting. And as long as we are in this world, we will always live in the tension between faith and despair. But it is our love for God, listen, our heart for God, which allows us to outlive our doubts. When you get up in the morning, 
I don't know if you ever, like if you read a daily newspaper, I recommend it. Try to read three newspapers a day. But one's good, or if you listen to like a television newscast, whatever, and you've studied what's going on, here's what you're going to find. Any day this past week, you can find it. Probably when you get home today and tune in or pick up a paper, you're going to find it. You're going to find that this world is full of brokenness. And corruption, evil on every hand. This is not a political situation. This is not a racial situation. This is this is not the problem we have in our country and around the world, might I add. No. No, it goes much deeper than that. And you look at those situations and then take hold of your Bible and maybe look at a favorite verse or take the, your, your scripture for the day or whatever is your custom. And then you ask yourself this question, can I still believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Will it work for me today? And here's the beauty. The faith that I'm speaking of or trying to this morning, not doing much of a job of it, is a daily learning, and a daily and ongoing exercise. In other words, if you will, it's a risk because doubts will still arise, we'll still struggle with God, and hopefully faith will be grounded in the goodness of God and that will triumph even when we don't have all the answers and life does not seem to make any sense. Third thing I want you to learn here. A cynical spirit will lead us away from God. The best Christians in the world have had serious doubts. The people of God that are in the book, Abram, in Genesis 15, he didn't know if he could trust God or not. And God is asking him to uproot and change and move ahead and, and start a nation. And, oh, man, I don't know if I can trust God. I'm a self-made man. I'm a very wealthy man. I'm a man that all these possessions and everybody in the region knows who I am. I don't know if I can do that. Gideon, he didn't know. Judges uh, chapter 6, 17, he didn't know that God was going to uh, deliver on his promise. John the Baptist even in Matthew eleven three, 3, he said, go ask him, are you really the promised Messiah or do we wait for another? John the Baptist said that. Some of the disciples doubted whether God had really raised Jesus from the dead. Matthew 28, 17. And here's what, how it ends. That verse, uh, Matthew 28, 17, said that many believed. Others still doubted. They were right there and saw the physical evidence. Were told again about it. Some still doubt it. You think you're the first one to ever doubt. You think your stuff is the most important thing anybody ever doubted about or ever got confused about. Well, I've got news for you. Not so. Thomas doubted, and he said, unless I can put my hands, my fingers, in his nail-scarred hand, and unless I can thrust my hand into the side that was pierced, I won't believe, I can't believe, I'm not going to believe. And when Jesus showed up the next time, Thomas is where he should be. That's why you shouldn't skip church because you never know when the Messiah is going to show up. He said, I'll be there next time, guaranteed. And he was. And when Jesus appeared to him, he put his hands out. And Thomas went down on his face before him and said, my Lord and my God. I don't see anything in Scripture that says Thomas ever touched him. He probably did embrace him. But there's no mention of fingers in the hand wound. The reason was there wasn't a wound there now. God took care of the doubt. But you see, in spite, those people I just mentioned, in spite of all of them, in all of them, in spite of their doubt, they came to trust God implicitly. 
But that one kind of, there's that one kind of doubt that's deadly. It's cynicism. I want to mention it because I want us all to be aware of it. It questions, but it never attempts to resolve the question. It, it questions merely to question. It's not a true quest. It questions because it wants to mock and it wants to jest. And there's always a smirk on its lips. And the cynic is pleased with doubt. Looks for ways to doubt. Delights in doubt, delights in questioning the truth. The cynic holds up experiences of being heard this one so many times. Oh yeah, Christians are okay, churches are okay, but I've been hurt by them. Buck up, buttercup. I don't buy that one at all. All you're telling me is how strong you really are. Or not. Oh yeah, Christians and churches and preachers especially, blah, blah, and I've been hurt by them. That gave you an excuse to abandon your faith and act like it didn't matter? You see, believers, if, if I can just have your attention here, those kind of people, they're going to point to every failure in your life. And they're going to never let you forget They're going to look for every inconsistency. They're going to look for every contradiction. They're going to expect God to jump out of the sky and meet all their demands and answer all their questions, and that's the only way it's going to happen. By the way, he tried that, and there were still many who didn't believe. In the Gospel of John, we read that even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, John 12, 37, they still would not believe in him. So don't listen to these people say, well, if Jesus could just... God could just come out of the sky right now and do these. No, you still wouldn't believe if your heart's set against him. The Bible calls it hard-heartedness, and it comes from a Greek word, sclerocardia. Mark 16, 14. Of course, sclero is used in the word arteriosclerosis, which means hardening of the arteries, and cardia is used in cardiac, as in a cardiac arrest, meaning the heart has stopped and you are physically dead. This condition of the hardening of the heart can be fatal. There's a cure for doubt, but cynicism is a condition of the heart that prevents genuine faith. It can always raise more objections. Just when you think you're at the end of the objections and the end of the arguments, more surface, more come up. There are more than it's possible to ever answer. Cynicism resists surrendering to to God. That's the problem. And then in Hebrews 3, going back to the book of Hebrews, let me read two or three verses from Hebrews 3, down at verse 12. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today. In other words, in the present era. So that none of you may be hardened, sclero, by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. As has just been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Scalerocardia. Do not become hard-hearted as you did in the day of provocation or rebellion. Cynicism is fatal to your spiritual life. Go ahead and question if you want to. That's fine. Go ahead and wrestle with your doubts, even with God. Jacob did. Investigate and look into things, but do not become cynical. Cynicism investigates, but with an eye to finding errors. They always want to trip you up. They always want to change things to their way of thinking. It decides to doubt before the investigation even begins. I'm going to doubt no matter what, but I'll investigate it. James 1, 6-8 says, the man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He's, double man. He's a double-minded man. When he asks, he has to believe and not doubt. That's what I love about those verses. At the heart of faith is the question of the character of God. You have to remember who you're dealing with here. You have to remember who is the author and the finisher of our faith. You have to remember who is the perfecter of our faith. You have to, you have to remember who is the object of all our faith that takes us into eternity. So we have to remember the character of God. And when people doubt and question, that's what they're doubting and questioning. For many people, it's not a matter of whether or not to believe in God, but what kind of God do we believe in? Will we believe in a God of love who wants to be near us and has our best interests at heart and send a Savior for us? Or will we believe in a God who plays games with us and tries to trick us and is ultimately cruel and is uncaring 
We get this a lot, don't we, from people who don't understand. Oh, God, if he's, if he's God, why would such... Don't get into those discussions. Maybe we should say, in the words of Rich Mullins, you're up there, just playing hard to get. Is that the God you serve? What kind of God are you going to believe in? Well, we talked about Job. Here's how it ended up for him in the 19th chapter of Job, starting at verse 25. I just want to tell you before I read this, don't worry about Job. Everything's going to be okay. All is well. He overcame his doubt, and here's what he said. Here's what Job said. He said, I know, K-N-O-W, that my Redeemer lives. That'll get you through half the week right there. Huh? And that in the end, he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I, not another. I wish somebody would leave here today with this on their breath. Oh, how my heart yearns within me. That's Job. That's his response. What's yours? Now look, beloved, I'm just here this morning to confess to you that the church, I don't mean faith community, but I mean the body of Christ as we know it, is so busy saving people who are drowning in their doubt that we rarely have time to teach people to swim. What am I saying? I'm saying at large, the Christian community has handled doubt very poorly. Now I'm going to make it personal and I'm going to ask you a question. It's certainly one you can answer with a simple yes or no. Don't answer audibly. Have you ever had Or are you perhaps right now struggling with that thing we call doubt? Here's what we're going to ask. If you've had, if you're having, if you're there right now, I think I know why I was struggling this morning. I think it's pretty clear to me. I think uh, some of you know why you were struggling to kind of, I'll say pay attention for lack of another term, because maybe this is a little too close to home. As the preachers say, maybe we drove into your yard today, and you're trying to process this thing called doubt. If you ever have had, if you're struggling right now without, this is all I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to stand quietly if you are able to do that, right where you are. I want to pray with you. I'm already standing, so I'm waiting. Say, well, if my husband does, I will. If my, my father does, or my wife. It's not about your father or your wife. Heavenly Father, we come today to acknowledge the fact that we've met doubt face to face. 
we've had the experience of doubting or maybe we're struggling with it right now, whoever is standing and acknowledging this. I thank you for each one that is. Lord, we recognize that the church has done a miserable job of defining and helping and rescuing people from doubt or helping them as they go through their struggles, the struggles of faith and the struggles of spiritual growth, the struggles of life. Heavenly Father, it's not beyond any of us to have doubts, doubts about ourselves, doubts about our faith, doubts about things that are happening in our lives, even doubts about God. That's just reality. That's just truth. That's just being open. Honest doubt can lead to faith, and we thank you for that, God. We're asking that a full measure of mercy and blessing and understanding and encouragement might fall upon every person, man and woman, who is standing in your midst right now, and for everyone who is seated, Lord, whatever their needs are, that those needs will be met through the power and person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for truth. Thank you for teaching us the reality of faith. What is it and how does it operate? And what does it mean? It's not the end of anything. It's the beginning of opening of great vistas. And thank you for that, Lord, that we walk by faith. And so as we consider our position, where we are, what we've experienced, times we've doubted, things that we cannot answer, we don't understand, Lord, give us the patience and understanding now to know that we don't have all the answers, but you are the answer. So bless and comfort with your grace each one. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. And thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, everyone, for being kind this morning and patient. Let's listen to a song that I think will really bring home the theme of the morning. Finding me when I hear you calling out, I follow now. Where 